What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to the Hoops Corner. I'm your host, Peter Chan, and on the line, the Iceman himself, no dog pound today. Josh Cohen, how you doing? I am officially out for the finals, so things are, things are swell. How are you doing? I'm, I'm all right, man. I got a little tan going on. I spent uh, three weeks in Japan, which is why we haven't done this in a while. It was great. I would say that's if a I could go pretty back, good excuse. Yeah. Oh, the best part is like way better than Europe. The games are on at like 9.30 in the morning. So like I would just like chill, I'd go drinking the night before, wake up, and boom. Lakers Nuggets. That's Not solid. Bad. That's better than West Coast time. Like I always talked about, you know, um, when I retire, I'm going to move to the West Coast. Just for the, almost that purpose, really. <laughs> and then, uh, you know. <laughs> just to watch sports. <laughs> maybe I'll just move to Japan instead. You know, wake up in the morning, have a nice cup of tea, and then watch yeah. the West Coast basketball games. Sounds pretty nice to me. You can do that. Yo, you do that, and then at night you get to watch like Japanese sports. There you go, baseball. Uh, you can go watch a sumo tournament. Ooh, I've always wanted. I to wish see I one did that. Those. Same. I saw a couple of sumo wrestlers on like the trains and stuff, and I was like, "Holy shit, you are a big, dude!" Did they take yeah. up one car by themselves? No, nah, that would have been cool shit, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Japan's awesome, man. I want to go back. I definitely want to go it. next time you go, so let me know. We can go see Rui. Oh, yeah. Raj's boy. You can't bring him up with Raj <laughs> off the podcast. That just seems cruel. Oh, man. Poor Raj can't make it on today. I don't know. Something about work, I guess, gets in the way. I guess. Sad. But, uh, you know, Rui was doing that work in the playoffs, and now he's going to be a multi-million dollar man. <laughs> so good for him. Yeah, good for Rui. Um, okay, so last time we left off, it was like mid-second round. Like, I mean, the Nuggets were playing the Suns. I had a conversation with Raj about Devin Booker being, like, the best two-guard in the league at the time after his heaters in Phoenix. Uh, we had LeBron and Steph facing off in, I guess, kind of a finals rematch, but in the second round where nobody really cared. Knicks Heat brought us back to the 90s. Celtics 76ers, a series that everyone just wants to forget about because it was pure ass to watch. Uh, am I wrong? No, you're 100% correct. Watching the Celtics <laughs> yeah. in general is complete ass to watch because their, their play style with the three-point shooting, like the nonstop oh. threes, and then just them not trying or getting things right on both sides of the ball, which is hard to watch. It just made no sense whatsoever. Anyways, fast forward a while, you get the Nuggets taking care of business against the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. Again, you get the, the Celtics just crumbling under the Heat's pressure, and now... We are in the finals as of last week. We had game one where, let's just face it, the Heat got bodied inside. We had poor shooting performances from Miami shooters. I'm talking Duncan Robinson, Max Struess, Gabe Vincent. None of these guys showed up. They're role players. They're not supposed to. We had Aaron Gordon just dominating inside, which then opened up the floor for the the beautiful two-man game of Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. Game two comes around. Totally different story. We see Denver checked out. These guys just like, they basically didn't show up to play for the most part until Jamal Murray suddenly turned it on in the last like five minutes of the game. And on the other hand, we had guys like Duncan Robinson cutting to the net and flexing on Denver's inside presence. We had Gabe Vincent hitting what seemed like 43s in a game. I think he had like six, which is still incredible on the road. And Miami just like ran away with it, right? I mean, that's a pretty quick synopsis of everything. It's broken down quickly. But, you know, we went back to Miami, Game 3, Series tied 1-1. And one of the biggest, like, talking points that I constantly heard was just, 
oh, who's this a bigger game, like, must win for? Dude, it's the finals. Every game is a must win. Can we just, like, the narrative is so dumb, man. Does it really matter who's the bigger game, like, must win for? It's the finals. There's only a few games left. Obviously, both these teams have made it there and want to just finish the job. Ugh, it's just stupid listening to this. Anyways, so game three comes around. We have a Nikola Jokic 30-20-10 game, which is just unheard of since, like, Wilt. <laughs> wilt, right? Like, I'm not exaggerating in this type of, like, conversation here. We have a Jamal Murray 30-10-10 game. The last 10 was a little, sh- a little shaky, but whatever. He got his numbers. Who cares? And... I mean, at this point, I think it's just like a battle of the coaches, right? How they adapt every game. You know what I mean? It wouldn't surprise me if in game four it comes around and Spo just has some crazy stuff lined up for in a way to slow down Jamal Murray like he did in game two. Yeah, for sure. With Denver, it was more so just them getting into their actions quicker in game three. Like you saw, they made it a point when Miami went to their trap zone that they did in game uh, two in the fourth quarter. In this game, when they tried it out early in the game, you could see Jamal Murray make it a point to bring the ball up as quickly as he could so they had more time on the shot clock. So, I mean, besides the fourth quarter where they tried to just play prevent offense. Um, but early in the game, when they were doing that, he brought the ball up. They got the ball up to, you know, the three-point line by 16 on the clock. So that way, if their first action didn't work, they can move into the second and third actions. Everything is just much quicker for, for Denver overall. And then obviously with Christian Brown coming in and making a big impact, um, the way that Denver sort of switched up where Jokic was on the floor against the zone too, like he was basically on the right baseline instead of at the top of the key, which I think was a pretty key adjustment. So that way, when he got the ball on the right baseline, if somebody cut in the middle of the floor, they were essentially going to be wide open when he got double teamed. So I thought that was a pretty smart adjustment. And, uh, you know, I think Jimmy Butler just got tired in the second half as well, because, you know, when you're being taxed with guarding all these players, as well as being the number one guy, and now you're guarding a point guard who's maybe one of the best scorers in the NBA now in Jamal Murray, um, it's, it's very difficult to have that much energy to be able to put up points and be your, you know, the team leader in the fourth quarter. That's why we see uh, James Harden just chilling on defense all the time, right? It's hard to carry an offensive load. Yeah, I mean, he just doesn't guard anybody ever, so maybe that's a solution. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in game two, that was like the big adjustment, right? Instead of having Caleb Martin in, they had Kevin Love in to start the game. And that in turn let Jimmy Butler just lock down Jamal Murray in the first half, right? Like, you, you play with the matchups a bit, and then, yeah, that was it. But then once game three came around, it's sort of just, there's only so much he can do, right? Between him and Bam sort of carrying the offense and the defensive load, to be honest, if your shooters aren't hitting, and you know that's sort of what Miami has based their whole series on, season, playoffs, playoffs on. Uh, I mean, if they're not hitting, then the team is kind of screwed either way. There's no real way around a, a team that ha- relies so many, so much on threes that you know if Duncan Robinson and Gabe Vincent aren't hitting their shots and kind of bone. Vincent had like three fouls in the in the first half alone already. Some of them ticky tack fine but you know it happened right you got to play through what the refs call and yeah I mean there's not it's tough I don't know I don't know how else to that I don't know how Miami's offense can really work around it if their shooters aren't hitting shots you you can do all these defensive adjustments you can try to slow down Murray you can 
make Jokic a scorer instead of a passer or whatever, you know, Spo wants to break it down to. But realistically, if, you, if you're not going to hit shots, you're not going to hit shots. That's the end of the game. Yeah, and that whole narrative was nonsense anyway. Like, Denver had a fantastic offensive rating in game two, despite them looking a bit uh, frantic in the fourth quarter, I guess you could say. Jokic had 41 points, and I think they had like 123 offensive rating, which would have been like the best in the NBA, um, if you're going to factor that in, obviously, against teams that play 82 games, but that doesn't matter, obviously. The point is they had really good offense that game. They lost because they kept screwing up switches on the perimeter, and I think there was like six to eight of them where Miami ran those little split cuts where Bam has the ball at the top of the key, and then you have Duncan Robinson and Vincent screening for each other, and in the fourth quarter, Robinson would curl off the ball. And, you know, when he curls off the ball, it's like a five alarm fire um, where two guys often go to him. And then he jumps the ball off the BAM and then BAM plays four on three. And in that game, they just kept screwing up the initial switch where Duncan Robinson would come around the screen. And there was two times in a row where Bruce Brown just wasn't paying attention or they're just lack communication. And Robinson got um, a layup on one. And the other one, I think he hit a three. And then Jamal Murray was like, nobody even talks about this. Jamal Murray has been an absolute sieve in the playoffs or in the finals. Anyway, I think he was better in the Western conference finals, but he was horrible on defense that game. And I think it was just because of lack of energy, to be honest, because you could see like with his clothes out on Robinson, which just lazy uh, when Robinson got that and one in the corner. And then he flew yep. by him just before that. That was the first three that Robinson hit that opened up the doors for Miami to actually win that game. <laughs> so, you know, you can't really blame yeah. Murray in that case, I guess, because he plays 44 minutes a game and it's a tough job and everything. But, um, you know, I think the biggest difference defensively in this game was I think Miami shot um, 43% on twos, if I'm not mistaken, and then 37% at the rim or inside the paint area. Yeah. So yep. that's really impressive, obviously, um, from the Denver side of things. And then obviously they're cutting off the three-point line. Like they weren't jumping, um, you know, at, at everything. Like they were in game two, right? They were disciplined. They were much more disciplined. So when you're closing out the Kevin Love, you're not flying by him and giving them that little <laughs> pump fake three that they did twice in game two. So even like Caleb Martin, uh, he had eight straight points at one point. But, you know, you got to close that under control. And if they hit the shot over you, then it's, it's, it is what it is at that point. And even though Miami has been the team of destiny so far and hitting all these crazy shots. And to your point, Gabe Vincent, he was, I think he hit more threes uh, in the first two games than Porter Jr., KCP, and Jokic combined. That was a crazy stat that I saw the other day. <laughs> so, you know, that's absurd. When man. Denver plays at their best and they don't make stupid mistakes, they should win every game by 10 to 15 points. But Playing against Miami in a one-game setting every game, it, anything can happen, right? It's very chaotic. So they just have to play disciplined basketball, and this should be over in five. The Miami Heat had three players in double digits scoring yesterday in game three. Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. I obviously don't need to like, question that. Who do you think was the third player? Uh, it wasn't Lowry, that's for sure. Definitely wasn't Robinson. It wasn't Spruce. Kayla Martin? Yes. Yeah, 10 points. <laughs> How wild is that? Oh, my God. Yeah, uh, I mean, Denver did a great job in guarding it. the perimeter. And I think, that, again, like going back to the old Gabe Vincent thing, like him having the three fouls in the first half was huge. Because he's one of those guys that can actually like take guys, you know, not off the dribble, but he can actually run a functional pick and roll. And he's a really big threat um, off the pick from Bam because he's been shooting like the greatest point guard in the history of the NBA the last yep. couple rounds. 
So that was big, obviously. And one thing that hasn't been talked about yet is if Lowry's even going to play next game because he had that really you know big scare at the end of the game where he did the splits because they didn't wipe the floor properly. So hopefully he's all right. His hamstrings are okay for game three. No, he's Sorry, good, game man. four. Um, but yeah, that, that did not look good. <laughs> Lowry's fine. Oh, maybe not fine, but he's going to play. Because a warrior, man. I it's the finals. So. Why wouldn't he play? Come on. You think he's that hurt that he can't that he can't get on the floor he's, and draw a charge or two? He's lucky he didn't tear something on that one. Oof. Yeah, it wasn't not great. Um, did you notice that Michael Porter Jr. only played twenty one minutes in Game Three? Yes, that was very noticeable because our defense was so much better in the second half with him off the floor. Yep, and locked in. No, for sure. And there's been a lot of talk about you know Porter Jr. potentially guarding Jimmy Butler, which I endorse honestly. Like when Gordon's not on the floor. <laughs> You might as yeah. well have Porter on the ball so he can't screw up all those split-cut actions off the ball and get lost on defense. If you keep him on the ball, you can't screw up and, you know, have guys go back door on him. Or To be honest, Jimmy Butler hasn't had anyone that, like, that long covering him in the playoffs either, right? In the first series, well, he would he didn't have Giannis covering him. Hate him. He would have had Chris Middleton in my, against Milwaukee. No. Middleton and Holiday, shorter guys-ish, shorter-ish. New York, whatever, wash of a series. I don't. I'm not paying any attention to that. And then in Boston, who was covering him? Marcus Smart, Grant Williams. Yeah, I mean Jalen Brown from time to time. Honestly, like Tatum did by far the best job. Same body type as uh, Michael Porter yeah. Jr. And uh, but he wasn't. He wasn't the primary assignment on him. He should have been though. <laughs> Same yeah, well, with Giannis Coach for uh, for the Bucks too. Like when when they put Giannis on Butler a couple of years ago. They swept them because they couldn't do anything. They yeah. just kept going to the screen, and Giannis is long enough to contest anyway. So, yeah. yeah. Anyways, so my point is, yesterday, I think, I remember at least two possessions. Obviously, it's a very small sample size where Michael Porter Jr. was you know, switched on to Butler, and he held his own. Dude is 6'10", and he's got long-ass arms. Butler hasn't had to deal with that type of length before. And considering that half his buckets come from inside the paint or, you know, that, like, 10-foot range, Long arms go a long way, man. That's all I'm saying. It's not a bad idea. No, for sure. And the best shots that he got in the first half were going against smaller guys. Like He kept getting the switches um, early in the clock against Murray and KCP. And the biggest thing that Denver did in the second half is if they did switch that, um, they were often like pushing him out beforehand. So, And Jimmy Butler takes a long time to get into his actions too. He's not yep. a guy that just gets to switch and then goes. He just no, gets a switch and then he'll chill a little bit and dribble the ball, you know, back down a little bit, then run pick and roll. And that takes like another 10, 15 seconds. So they really get Miami down on the clock, which is what Miami was doing to them the previous game. So it's going to be very interesting to see how they adjust the next game and uh, functionally get better shots. I'm not really sure. What, like, what would you do? <laughs> uh, well, as a Nuggets fan, I wouldn't do a damn thing differently. But... I mean, what can you do? You just have to... I don't know. I really don't know. You just have to try to get these guys open. But if Denver's defense is locked in, if you have, like... Basically, if you don't have KCP and Bruce Brown committing stupid fouls like they did in Game 2, I mean, it's really hard to beat this team. Yeah. Brown... As, as simple as that sounds, right? <laughs> Brown committed one in the first quarter. I'm like, oh, God, here we go again. That same. I thought it was just going downhill. Like, uh, yeah, I thought it was going to be awful. Yeah, that was hard to watch. And same thing with KCP. In game two, KCP committed 
two fouls on three-point shots. And, like, they weren't even close. They were clear fouls, not, like, ticky-tack calls or, like, someone baited him into it. No, dude just committed bad fouls. Yeah, so the one against Struess was one of the worst fouls in NBA history. He was trying to just chuck up a shot so it could hit the rim yeah. with the one on the clock from 35 feet, and he's still fouling. Yeah, he was like at the logo. Yeah. Another one was a Kyle Lowry one where he jumped into his legs. Kyle Lowry was like three or four feet from behind the line. Yeah. Low shot clock situation. Come on, man. And at first, the watching that in real time, I'm like, there's no way he fouled him. Lowry kicked out his legs Reggie Miller style, and then you watch the replay. It's like, all right, I guess nope. that was the first legit yeah. foul where Lowry actually looked and like he's like, going to flop. So. That's just Kyle Lowry's shot. He always like, you know when some guys, when they shoot, they just go straight up, and some guys go forward? Like, Paul Pierce always went forward by like two feet. Kyle Lowry's the same way. He never just goes straight up. Yeah, but because like a Lowry's a drifter, shot. you assume that he was kicking out his yeah. legs, which that time he didn't. <laughs> so, you know, props to him. <laughs> oh, grifter. I like it. Um, also, big shout-outs to Christian Brown for this incredible game. That was hype. That was fun. He basically blew the doors open for the Denver defense, and then they just never looked back at that point after that. So, you know, four-year veteran out of Kansas. Dude's 22 years old, unlike a lot of these other rookies who are coming out at like 19 or 20. But he's played all four years. And, you know, for a, a team that's like supposed to be a competitor, like a like a finalist competitor, good drafting decision. Picking a guy who's actually ready for the game or ready for the league rather than someone who you have to like build around. No, for sure. And I'm sure they didn't expect this for him to be actually playing, you know, multiple minutes in the NBA finals. But in two out of the three games, he's been really good. And he's he's cutting into areas where Miami's, you know, defense is susceptible, right? So he's getting into the middle of the lane when Jokic is on the right side of the or left side of the floor. And he's getting to spots where you can just catch the ball and finish. He doesn't really have to do too much. But the two plays that really stood out was he ran a pick and roll with Jokic. And most of the time he's going to run the pick and roll where Jokic picks for him and he passes the ball back to him. And then Jokic will isolate. And on one play, he picked for him. And then, you know, he saw that Bam was not going to leave Jokic. He went all the way to the rim and got a layup. So I think it's little things like that. Like he's gaining more confidence over the course of the season. And now in the finals, he's taking those little things and doing big things right now. And then obviously in the fourth quarter, on that fast break, he thought he was just going to, you know, take it out and run a play. And instead he saw Jimmy Butler in front of him. He's like, I'm going to go yeah, right at him. him. And he bodied him and finished that. Yep play in midair and you thought it'd be an and one but he still finished the play and after that you're like all right this game is over <laughs> wow what a swing factor man christian brown 15 points 19 minutes seven of eight shooting Woo! and an n one in there my god and honestly and- we've gone this entire podcast and we haven't talked about the guy who put up 30 20 and 10 so i think we need hold on to- hold on hold on the last thing i want to say about christian brown he uh the only miss he had was a three-point shot from the corner where he hit the side of the rim or side of the backboard and never shot again. Just kept going to the rim after that. Smart man. Just saying. Very good. Very good. Uh, I mean, what do you want to talk about, Josh? 32-21-10, and 12-21 shooting, 7-8 from the line. Well, what, what's there to say? He's really good. He's a very good basketball player, and uh, I don't think he wants any of the attention. I think he would rather us talk about all his teammates. Well, for sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think this is very indicative of what he would have wanted this whole time. 100%. But I think by the end of the series, like nobody's talking about this yet, but I think people are going to be talking about, is this the greatest finals performance of all time? And I think it's going to be compared. I mean, you're making that face right now, but he's averaging like 33, 
13 and nine on like 60, 45 and 85. Like it's absurd. <laughs> I think the only guy that really compares is like Duncan in uh, 2003, I think against the Nets where he averaged yeah. like almost <laughs> it's just insane numbers. It was like what, 26, like 18 and like eight blocks or something, something stupid. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean like he's putting up absurd numbers and he's a literal cheat code on offense. Like he does literally everything and all of this, sh- like whenever he has the ball, you just feel like two points are going on the board at least. <laughs> just two points though. At least two points. Not a three, not a three. Uh, let me see. I, I've pulled up your Tim Duncan from 2003 lines. We're looking at 24.2 points, 17 rebounds, and 5.3 assists. How many blocks? With 5.3 blocks yeah. and one steal. I remember he had Shooting that. 50% he had the, from the uh, quadruple double game, right? Or was it nine blocks in that game? It was eight blocks that game. Okay. It was close to a quadruple double. Yeah. So he was fun, just fun trivia. dominant right there. Jason Kidd is... Fun trivia, Jason Kidd is the only other player to have averaged a triple-double in the finals. Yeah, oh, there you go. Yeah. Was it the finals or was it a pl- playoff run? No, I don't think it was a finals. Playoff, I think, I think play- he had in the full first playoff game. run. No, 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 full playoff run. Okay. He didn't make it to the finals. But uh, I think it was like 06 with New Jersey where he made it like two rounds or something. Two or three rounds. Yeah, because I remember yeah, yeah. seeing uh, that Jokic was the first player since Jason Kidd to have a triple double in his first finals game. So yeah, that, that's a little bit of trivia there for you. Um, yeah, so overall, Nikola Jokic, very good at basketball. Yes. Yes. He's the ultimate safety valve. You know, <laughs> whenever he gets the ball, it's like something great is going to happen. No matter what, doesn't matter what you do and against him. Touch, he's going to figure out a way. Yeah. His touch is like stupidly nice around the rim. He's, Everything just drops in casually. There's no like, Yeah. Even if you think it's like a weird ass angle, or if he hits the side of the rim, somehow it just drops in. It's wonderful to watch. Absolutely, <laughs> like... and he's unquestionably the greatest player in the game right now. And Ooh. he might have been for the last couple of years too. Honestly, like if his team was healthy, this might have been you know a potential back to back. You never know. You know, speaking of a healthy team, um, you saw at the end of Game Three where Monte Morris is just chilling there for some reason, and all the guys said, "What's up to him?" Last year, we had a, a backcourt for Nikola Jokic of Monte Morris and Facundo Campazzo. Just yeah. think about that. And his second yeah. option was Will Barton, I believe. So, Well, it was Aaron Gordon, but mm. yeah. <laughs> Either way, not great. <laughs> yeah, so think about that upgrade from Monte Morris and Campazzo to Jamal Murray and KCP. Pretty Michael solid. Porter Jr. instead of Will Barton. Wonder why he's having such a better year. Yeah, and again, like Denver's doing all this without Michael Porter Jr. right now. So imagine if he shows up in game four and actually plays well. I think it's going to be a blowout. I don't know. I think Miami gets game four. No. no I think they squeak it out. I said okay. Denver in five before the series started. And I'm sticking with it. I don't think they're going to win game four. I mean, I would like it to be five because that would be just sweet to see. But... I don't know. There's something about Miami, man. I think Coach Spoke pulls something out of his hat. They're cockroaches. Maybe he pulls you done as Haslam. I mean, he didn't play at the end <laughs> of the game. And I like how uh, Jamal Murray just gave him the shot at the end of the game, too. He's like, all right, OG, get your points. And yeah, Haslam respect missed. your elders, man. <laughs> <laughs> don't talk about that part. Yeah. Come on now. <laughs> it's Would you rather see Udonis Haslam or Reggie Jackson on the floor, who actually played yesterday? Yeah, that was weird. He came in for like yep. three minutes. 
And they were like, all right, you didn't really it was do a minute. much, so you're gone. Back one to the minute. bench. One minute for Reggie Jackson, 0 for 1 from the field. With one rebound and one assist, though. So yeah. it's cool. Very productive. His <laughs> per 36 stats are crazy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that, but sure. <laughs> oh, man. So you still think Denver in five? Yeah, I still think Denver's going to win in five. Um, in terms of adjustments Miami can make, Gabe Benson playing more because he's not in foul trouble, that's a pretty big adjustment, I guess. Um, yep. Like the actions that they're getting most of the points off of, besides Jimmy Butler running the baseline and hoping that Denver makes a mistake, is um, when they run shooters around Bam and they play the uh, the two-man game with Bam at the top of the key. But in this game, it wasn't very effective because, honestly, like Jokic is really good on defense this game. He was able to not only come out to the perimeter, but recover on Bam and get a, you know, a tighter contest or push him out a bit more because Miami's pick and rolls were just not as effective overall in getting him in the pocket. Um, and Bam was 7 out of 21. You know, yesterday I said the law of average is going to hit him, and, and they definitely did. He still had a really good game overall, I think. You know, still 22 and 17. Yeah, he put up numbers, and it's hard to... Got to the line a lot. No, for sure. Like, he was a lot more aggressive, which is great for Miami because they yep. just need points in general. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's hard to play 40 plus minutes guarding a guy who's 280 pounds and can move the way Jokic does. And then (laughs) having to score on the other end, as much as he's going to have to, it's a lot of work. Especially considering Jokic is not only taller, but like significantly taller than Bam and significantly larger just in general. And he moves around the court a lot too. So not only is guarding this guy in the post, um, where like Jokic is not really getting the ball in the post that much because Bam is fronting a lot, right? But then he moves around the perimeter, he comes around screens. It's just a lot of work, you know? It's just a lot of cardio. It's a lot of banging. It's a lot of everything. It like it's the hardest matchup in the league right now. It is. It's actually absurd how much Jokic can move off screens. It doesn't really make sense considering his size and like just like that type of body on the floor. Like You don't see that type of person moving around often, right? Like someone that size, you usually see Perkins. Maybe a pick and roll from time to time, but like usually just like chilling in the low block. This guy is a pure cheat code. For sure. Pure, pure cheat code. But yeah, I mean, Miami, they have to mix up their coverages more against Jamal Murray. Um, I'm not sure how they're going to do that because every single option that they choose, they lose because once Jokic gets the ball, it's over regardless. And if Murray gets that hot, then they're going to lose. So I'm not really sure what you do in that scenario. Like they were trapping a lot. I don't think they need a trap to half court like they did a couple times. They caused a couple turnovers in that scenario. But when Murray actually brings Bam all the way out and then he's able to get Jokic the ball anywhere, whether that's like 25 feet away from the basket where Jokic has a four on three or at the free throw line, whatever it is, you're just going to lose in that scenario. So they got to figure out something else. All right, moving on. I mean, we had some weird conflicting reports today. Uh, Chris Haynes out of you know NBA on TNT, Bleacher Report. Announced that the Suns are going to be waving Chris Paul. Like 10 minutes later, Shams and Woj both stated that he's not going to be waved just yet. You know, the Suns are still uh, sort of deliberating, seeing what their best options are. You could like wave and stretch him. You could try to trade the guy before June 28th when he's guaranteed his money. Uh, all that, including a little tidbit that I think went a little like under the radar, but uh, there were trade talks for Chris Paul this past year, including with DeAndre Ayton. Just throwing it out there. The Suns and DeAndre Ayton have had a, a contentious relationship, to say the least, and it continues. So, Josh, your favorite point guard ever, Chris Paul. Might be on his way out of Phoenix. 
Yeah, it's certainly looking that way. It seemed like uh, Haynes wanted to get ahead of the news, so he posted something that was not completely confirmed yet because Chris Paul's camp is trying to um, figure out the path forward, I guess, before the June 28th cutoff date where his contract gets guaranteed for uh, 30 plus million. And, you know, it's right now it's just partially guaranteed for 15, um, or again, they can either wave him or wave and stretch him. Um, but the draft is before that, right? So the draft, I believe, is about 12 days before that date or around that mark. So that's when you would think that if they're going to make a move involving Aiton, that would be the move, right? And the Suns are not a team that likes draft picks. Maybe that's going to change now that they have a new owner. Um, but it's going to be hard to see what type of team is going to trade for a guy like Aiton, um, given the current situation with him in that, you know, he's got a eh contract, I guess, and his value is not the highest. And they obviously want to trade. Everyone knows around the league that they want to trade him, so they have no leverage there. But in terms of Chris Paul, I still think he has like a year or two left. Um, and he's going to want to go to a contending team, you would think. The team that I want to see him on is the Spurs. I want to see him go to the Spurs, and I want to see him be the guy that gets Wembenyama the ball as much as possible. Like, they need a point guard that knows how to play and gets Wembenyama, you know, the ball in spots where he can, you know, easily get points instead of having to isolate every single play and play on a team where he's the number one guy all the time. So, you know, the more that they can get a move around the floor and get easy looks with a point guard that knows what he's doing, I think would be great. Um, so, I mean, if not them, as much as I do hate them, I wouldn't mind seeing them on the Lakers either. Uh, the Lakers one, I've like, I've heard about that rumor, but it's kind of weird. I mean, Chris Paul, like a, a ball dominant point guard along with LeBron is just, the combination has never worked for LeBron. I'm just saying. They're friends, I know they're boys and whatever, but like, I don't know, the combination just hasn't hasn't piqued my interest. I think it could work, though, because LeBron's always wanted ball handlers around him to take the pressure off him, especially in the regular season where he can rest a little bit. And Chris Paul's a guy that gets injured a lot, so maybe that's not the best combination. But in the playoffs, as you know, you need as many ball handlers as you can to alleviate a lot of the pressure that falls on the main guys. And I think Chris Paul could help there for sure. And... Ultimately, I think he's going to get like a smaller type of contract because he's already been making at least fifteen million from the the wave or the wave and stretch. You would think, yeah. Um, sure. So he's going to be making a very small amount of money, and I think that's why he's going to end up going to a team, even maybe a Milwaukee too. Like Milwaukee might end up losing Middleton potentially, so maybe they go the Chris Paul route. They've been rumored, to, you know, to be trading for him in the past, so maybe that's an option there. But either way, he's going to end up on a contending team. Man, Javon Carter must be so pissed if Chris Paul would go there. Has to play behind him again. <laughs> I would be so livid. I never even thought of that. It's a good point. Yeah. It's a good point. All right, let's hit me with some stats corner real quick. All right, so I'll give you two things this week since uh, Raj is not here to destroy you as usual. <laughs> Come uh, on. Now. <laughs> So Heat wing Caleb Martin scored 135 points on 60% shooting in the series against Boston. Only six players have scored more points on 60% shooting in a conference finals in the last 40 years. Let's see how many you can get on. We'll go with 10 guesses. Whatever. Shaq. Yeah, that's one. Duncan. No. Oh, weird. Jokic. Nope. Well, this is going awful. Uh, 
There's uh, one active player, and the rest are Dwight either retired or still playing somewhere else. Dwight. Yes, that gave it away, huh? No, no, I had it before. I mean, I, you're just looking for bigs who dunk a lot, right? Or get to the rim a lot for the most part. I'll give you another hint. There's two. Well, there's one guard and there's one forward in here. How many more? I need four more. Yes, four more, and there's uh, actually two forwards. Two act. One active. One active. Is Kawhi in this? Nope. Oh. DeAndre Jordan. Did they ever make it that far to the conference finals? No, no. He didn't score that many points either. Sir, what was the points? What do I need? 135 points uh, and 60% plus. Okay, 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 okay. Dirk? Nope. KG? I think you have three more guesses. <laughs> this is rough. Oh, wait, I'm going back to the 90s, right? Or like late, late? 40 years? All right, I'll give you a couple hints. There's one player from the 90s, one from the 80s, uh, one current player, and one player that retired, I think, four or five years ago. Okay. Uh, let's go with... Well, you said one from the 80s? Kareem. What am I... There you How go. silly of me. Hakeem? Olajuwon in this? Surprisingly, no. Oh. So you have two forwards and one guard left. One guard? Jordan never shot that efficiently. Nope. Who the hell would the guard be? Active? No, he's the one that retired four or five years ago. Dwayne Wade? There you go. He called you. six. This guy just foul baiting. So. Okay. So two more forwards, right? Two more forwards. One is active. One should be very, very obvious. Am I frozen here? What what is this? Uh All right, point forward. My <laughs> Oh, LeBron. What the hell is wrong there with you me? Go. Jesus. Okay. And another forward. And the other forward what? got arrested recently. Um his career <laughs> went way downhill in the late 90s cuz he ate too much and did a lot of drugs. Sean Kemp? There you wow, go. Wow, what a beast. 60%. Holy. The Rain Man. Okay. Well, Sean Camp good. got fat. Very quickly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> also in the league. All right. And the last one's going to be very difficult. We'll see if you can get two. <laughs> um, most wins by an eight seed in a single postseason. So Miami this year has the most wins by an eight seed at 13. So, who else can you name? Uh, the 99 Knicks. Do they count? They do. They had 12. So, they had 12. And then... Hey, uh, what other eight seeds have gone deep into the playoffs? We're... They're the only two that make the, uh, the finals, right? So, we're looking at conference finals at this point. Uh, uh, not necessarily conference finals, no. Oh, None of these teams actually made the conference so finals based on the number of wins that they have. <laughs> so we're so, looking at like seven wins tops, right? At least yep. one round. Yep. The Nuggets? Or the 94, 95 Correct. Nuggets? Whatever year Correct. that was. Six wins. Boom. Yo, I got that one much faster than name off single players. Come on, man. I'm surprised, honestly. Why? Yo, the eight seed coverage has been so overblown. 
there's been a lot of talk about eight seeds doing like it's obviously incredible to see what Miami's done and you obviously want to pay homage to like the previous teams but it's being peppered into your brain at this point man if you don't think of the 99 Knicks immediately with like talking about an eight seed that got to the finals what are you doing with basketball trivia I will be shocked if you get the next two, though. The next two are pretty difficult. They're from 2011 and 2012, oh, if that helps. Uh... One team tanked their way into the eighth seed in order to play an older team. To play an older team? Is it someone playing... matched up well against... Brooklyn? Against Brooklyn? Nope. Western Conference. Whoa. Okay, see? No. Nope. I have no idea, man. Eight seed in 2011? The Grindhouse. Ooh, oh, Memphis? Memphis Grizzlies. They beat the Spurs in the first round. Huh. Okay. And 2012? And then, yeah. And then the last, that was 2011. Then 2012 is an Eastern Conference team. If you remember this. Chicago. Uh, the team that. Was that Nasty Nate's no, team? No. Damn. It, it was a team that played against Chicago because Derek Atlanta. Rose got injured. Nope. What? Remember Derrick Rose blew out his knee? Oh, Philly. Oh, sad there stuff. Sad stuff. Also, seven wins. I think Drew Holiday was on that team. That was uh, before the process all began. You are correct. Sad. sad Spencer st- Hawes, too. <laughs> we don't need to talk about Spencer Hawes here. <laughs> all right, good stuff, man. I'm pretty happy with that tri- with that trivia. Stats corner, whatever you want to call it today. But Good stuff, man. For a two-person pod, this wasn't bad. Yeah, Raj would have completed those about. No, he wouldn't. Ago. Raj knowing anything before 2020 is not a thing. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. You like that, eh? 2020, as if he wasn't following the NBA before that. <laughs> no comment. Yeah. All right. I want to think. Next question. Is that it? We're done here? I killed off your trivia? I want to thank everyone for listening. Please remember to rate and subscribe. You can find us on iTunes, on Spotify. You can leave those five-star reviews, those good comments. We're on all the socials. I'm talking TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube Shorts. New little feature here. And until next time, peace. Peace.